What's good, my people? You're listening to Where Do We Begin? I'm Alex Winwood, Olympic flyweight boxer for Australia. Enjoy the podcast. Audio is not great for me in this episode, guys, so sorry about that, but I'm sure you will love the show nonetheless. Alex, back from the games, back in the pod. How are you, mate? They're not bad yourselves. Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm good. And I can't believe we were talking off air before. So you're at the Olympics a month ago, quarantined for two weeks, and now you're already back at work. There's no rest, is there? No, no rest for the wicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate, how was your quarantine? Because uh, uh, you've been out of quarantine for what, a week, week, two weeks now? How was your quarantine? Uh, yeah, it was uh, – I enjoyed it, actually, like, for as much – like, because we was in Darwin, so it wasn't like being locked up in your room the whole time we could go outside and things like that and talk to others and um yeah i somewhat enjoyed the, the misery of it but <laughs> i got in like 80 episodes of not Rudo and like i've never started like i never watched it before so after like a few episodes and a few days later i was 80 episodes in deep and i was like wow um got a bit of time in my hands here uh so that's what i did for like most of the second week but yeah like the it was good just to chat to like the rest of the olympians and a couple of coaches that are sitting next to the balconies to us and that yeah yeah unreal unreal and i know harper and i we pay close attention to your uh, socials and i've seen some crazy things mate but talk us through it the challenge the no eating challenge you challenge yourself to not eat for how many hours <laughs> uh, i think it was like it was like 72 hours or something like that or, <laughs> yes and jeez I, I was actually going really strong on that saturday night so i probably only got like like 24 hours in really and maybe a little bit more. And then I was sitting like, I think was watching the voice or was watching the basketball or something. And then my room, like the guy next to me, Paulo, uh, my teammate, he was like eating bloody chocolate and drinking <laughs> Coke and chips. And then I ate chocolate and chips. So I didn't like, it wasn't that I broke the fast for like actual food. I just did it because I was stupid. And then I was just like, oh, my God. Um, yeah, so. And then a follow-up to that is, uh, so you because you didn't complete the challenge, you decided to punish yourself in one of the most brutal fitness challenges I've seen and the Howard Park Springs res- uh, Reserve, I think, or still tells legends of this brutal workout that you put on yourself. Yeah, so I did. Um, I gave it up to, to my um, followers and I said, uh, <laughs> there was a bunch of different ones. I asked them what the punishment would be at the start of the challenge, whether, I, whether I'd fail or not. Um, there was there was a couple of naked ones. There was a couple of like <laughs> I don't know, like run run around the run outside the uh, the quarantine um, place, and I was like, oh my god, these people want me to go to jail for nudity <laughs> or like you know the other other charges trying to get out of this place. But um, the one that I took up was the the two hundred burpees, like unbroken. And then the punishment, if I stop doing a burpee, like at any point that I'd have to add five extra burpees on for as many times as I stop. So I didn't think it was going to be that hard. And yeah, just like, it just started breaking me down. I do think I could do more. Next, last time when I was doing it, I was like, if I do this again, I have to either double it or go to 500. Cause I feel like you can't just go to 300. It's just not a, like a good number. Like, it's like once you earn a hundred bucks or you do a hundred something, next big number is a thousand, you know? So I was like, if I ever did this again, it has to be like 500 at minimum or it has to be a thousand. I was like, that would hurt. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit like uh, the Olympics, you know, for some reason it goes 200, 400. 
800? You think you go to 1,600 a mile? Yeah. No, it goes to 1,500. <laughs> yeah, see? Yeah. That's yeah. about <laughs> yeah. That's pretty phenomenal that you got that done. But something else pretty phenomenal. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, you've been added to the AOC commission. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I knew that I was getting nominated uh, when I was in a training, when I was in the training camp. Um, our head coach, like, kind of put my name forward and, and I said yes. And then um, – and like a surprise to me because I was looking at like the names of the people that was like um, being nominated and seeing how many games some of them went to and all this and that. Like I was in the village and pretty crazy that like, you know, people that was on the team voted me in and I was just like, wow, like I must have, you know, made some good friends on the way and they must not know me too well then. So it was, I was very, very happy with it and, you know, like, I feel like I always ask people on like the boxing team in particular, like how they're feeling and coping and, and what would they like to see change? So I, I feel like I'd be a pretty good, um, pretty good in the role and, you know, just voicing um, the opinions and thoughts of the athletes. But tell us a bit about the role in that. So what's your, yeah, what's your day to day going to be um, kind of made up of? Yeah. So I have, I missed out on the first uh, meeting, which was, I think, last week, Friday, um, just because I got home and then I ha- had shit booked already. So um, I missed out on that. But I don't know too much details about the role. What I feel like it is about is like um, hearing what's going on, relaying it to everyone else, like all the athletes from from the top down and also letting them know what everyone feels like, like how their games experience was because – you know, they give us surveys and things like that, but, you know, sometimes you just want to flick through them, like five-minute surveys and not actually give you your true opinion. So, um, yeah, just more in-depth um, conversation with them things, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Yeah. well, if the if the committee wants an official media team, Harps and I are always here, mate. So uh, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they knocked back our application for, what was it, the Tokyo Tour, guys, we were yeah. talking about last episode. But we, we need this official uh, kind of media role. The Olympics. Can you sort us out, Alex? Yeah, we're going to get you for the 32 games. Um, it's going to be in Brisbane, <laughs> so you just be right up the road. And then, you know, you could give them a tour. We could give everyone a tour with you boys. It would be fantastic, I reckon. <laughs> I don't think people yeah. will be coming back to the games to Australia if they led us as tour guides. But uh... <laughs> I reckon get used to on, like, the back of, a, like, a highlight in some chairs and, like, commentating the, the, um, the torch relay, like, all, all around Australia. Just, like, that'd be fantastic. That would be quite fun, but uh, yeah, quite a big ask. Not sure we're cut up, uh, cut out for that, cut out for that one. Really lucky you were going to ask something, with. Yeah, so I guess Alex was one of the lucky athletes to actually be a part of the opening ceremony, and you sort of stole the headlines a bit. Oh yeah, that was um, that was actually the most like unreal experience in my life. Eh? Like when I did it, it was just like like Harry and and Paul, Paul actually uh, said earlier when I was walking down because I was like mucking around and out there. It actually it was a big line to get there. I think it was probably like two hours from when we got off the bus at the venue until we walked out in the tunnel. Maybe more. It might have been like two and a half hours. So like we was just mucking about the whole way through and then um I was doing a bit of dance like through like earlier and then Paul was like, Yeah, you gotta do that man. It's like no one's ever done it before. And I was like how do you know that? I was like, where, where's your facts on that? I was like, 
You tell me that. He goes, no, nah, I'm just saying. I think that no one's done it before. I was like, yeah, see, there you go. Um, but, yeah, then, like, as we're walking out, Harry and that's like, go do it, do it. And I was doing it for ages, but to a different camera that was on the side. <laughs> and so, like, it like it went for probably, like, like 40 seconds. And then right at the end, I did the last little bit, and that's when the camera at the front seen us. So I really wish we went on our phones and, like, seen where it was getting broadcasted because didn't realise there was a camera at the top. There was so many cameras, like, all down the side and photos and that. But, um, yeah, man, like, when I really did think back to it, like, a few weeks later in quarantine, I was like, that's, like, the craziest story that, that like, I feel like I'll be telling to some school kids or something in, like, you know, 20 years time like wow like when i went to the games i danced my culture in front of the whole world and like i was like that's crazy like really when i thought about it yeah uh, you'll be telling all the kind of little mini windwards for generations to come did you get like many kind of media types <laughs> wanted to talk to you after that or anything um no i didn't hear from anyone until like like really like um asking me about it but my missus had told me that it was going crazy back here like and I was like, I haven't seen anything on Facebook or, or Instagram or anything. But I think it was just because, like, my location, because it was in Japan, like, it wasn't giving me all, like, the, new, like, seven news and nine news feeds and all that. But um, I got a little bit, like, tagged a bit on, um, like, Instagram. But other than that, I didn't realise how crazy it was because, like, when I pulled up at the airport and the media were there, they was, like, asking me about it. Like, oh, I went viral here. I was like, yeah, I didn't even know. I was like, over there it was just, like, did anyone get it on film? I want to know. But, um, yeah, I just wish it, I wish it was a longer version, eh? And I should have got, like, Paulo or Harry to actually record it. I was like, that would have been much better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just for the listeners, Paulo and Harry, who were they? Uh, Paulo's our light heavyweight boxer. I represented Australia, and Harry's uh, our bronze medalist, first one in 31 years. So, um, 31 years? Yeah. Um, wait, no. Yes. <laughs> something no. like that something like that I'm sure the <laughs> listeners will fact check us uh, but yeah you're probably right mate you yeah, probably some, know something like that something like or that mate, something like mate, that no 33 years actually sorry because yeah Alex, that makes much more sense Alex yeah, might yeah, be on the Christmas card list after that forgetting his age <laughs> uh, just one more about the opening ceremony because I think you might have been our only guest out of the 10 that actually got to go and I know there are a few like probably hundreds, watching it in the kind of square area in, t- in the village. So yep. how did they how did they decide who was going and who wasn't? I don't really know. Like, at first they were saying, like, there was only going to be a small group and that, that was going. But, like, I guess it was kind of like uh, personal preference. I think we had two buses and we only filled up, like, one really and then, like, a couple left over. But um, I don't – I think it was, like, personal preference. A lot of people were, like – competing the next day or the, the, the day after that and most people just stayed back and you know got put their opening ceremony kit on just you know did a little march around our headquarters there uh but anyone who really chose to could have could have came that day but um yeah because we, we had plenty more seats in the bus i think we could have fitted maybe another 40 but no team besides usa really sent many people to the opening ceremony 
Yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. And I guess obviously you were lucky enough to be a part of the Olympic Village because we actually spoke to another guest the other day and she was actually situated like a couple of hours off site. So can you tell us a little bit about what life was like in the village? As I know, seeing all the Instagrams, the TikToks, which was super popular throughout the Olympics, um, village life just looked like so much fun. Yeah, it was was pretty crazy. It was the best way, like maybe not the best way to describe it, but the way I thought about it when I was like, after a couple of days of being there, um, it was kind of like a camp for like a school carnival, like just seeing people go, going to their events, coming back and like just being normal. And then like, I don't know, just, yeah, school carnival with a big bloody dining hall. That's what it really was because that dining hall was unreal. And I'll change this here because I realise it's going to be dark. There we go. Much better. Um. But, yeah, like, our headquarters was pretty crazy. We had, um, I think it was, like, a 16-story building. And we had, like, 12 stories of them. Um, we had a massive team. And downstairs, we had, like, everything. They had, like, it was the only um, team that, like, employed us, um, like, people to come and make us coffees. It was fantastic. <laughs> Everyone else had, like, just instant coffees in the um, – what do you call it? Like in the dining hall and that, but we had like our own baristas that they were them guys, legends. They work for like probably like 10 hours flat stick every day, like eight o'clock all the way through to like six o'clock. They were just working except for maybe, um, I think they had like an hour or two hours off, um, in the middle of the day. But I was like, you guys, absolute legends. Go, when, when I was leaving, I gave, like, them a bunch of, like, the pins and all this and that um, and, like, a headband and stuff just because, like, how how much they put in was just unreal. Like, them guys were getting run down. I think they was having, like, like five, six coffees themselves, but they did a <laughs> bloody awesome job, eh, while I was there. Right, they have to, mate. Australians, they love their coffees, mate. We're some of the biggest coffee drinkers in the world and, yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. And I just – I'd love to know, so, you know, so the, the merch, the dining hall – um, running into some of the biggest names in sport throughout the world, what was probably the coolest aspect of village life that you just think back, pinch yourself and just think, just wow. Like. I think it was like what you said. It was just um, seeing like each athlete that's like at the pinnacle of their sport just walking by you. Know, it's not even a big deal. It's like there was so many like, superstar athletes that I was just like, this is crazy. But then like, um, the kind of like dawned on me. I was like, like they're like the top of their sport, but like, I'm also the top of my sport, even though we don't get the same media coverage. That's like what makes them superstars. It was like this, that's pretty crazy to think of that. Like that, like where we're both at the top of our game and there's only like certain people that are involved, um, at that level. But um, the only person who mugged me off was Yao Ming, but everyone else was was cool. I, was like, <laughs> yeah. I asked him for a photo and he said no. I was like, oh, my God, okay, how do I take this? He's like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> Do you get to talk to any other, like, absolute superstars, get any selfies, anything like that? Um, Paul Gasol, he was, just had a casual chat with us. Um, who else? Paddy Mills. I saw the photo yeah. on Instagram yeah. with Paddy. <laughs> Getting we, someone there. <laughs> yeah, he was just like – we hung out that much that it was just like it became normal. Like <laughs> oh. I was so fanboying out so hard that the first time I was seeing him, I didn't even say anything. 
like he was getting a coffee and I seen him, I just like walked straight by, even though I said I wanted to see him. Like it was just like, I couldn't, I, I went and like, cause we all had masks on. You didn't even have to say hello half the time. You just like, like lift the eyebrows up to like smile. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I just kind of walked by him. I think he just, I think they got in like the day before or something. So it was like his first coffee coming downstairs and I was just like, Oh my God. So I walked, walked by him, went up the elevator. I was like, I'm an idiot. Why don't I just say hello? Went into my room and then um, my mate went downstairs. Paul, I was downstairs. He's like, "Oi, Paddy Mills is out here. I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, I just walked by him and I didn't say anything. And he's like, come down here. So then I went down. Actually, it was Harry. And then I went downstairs and walked out and introduced myself. And he was so cool and just like had a, had a casual photo with us. And then Harry did too. And a couple of days later, we just like started hanging out, watching like all the sports and that just downstairs and and we had dinner and stuff and like just chilling out and having normal conversations. It, it was so chill. He's one of the most genuine humans that I met. Like to think that he's a millionaire, I was like, this is crazy. Like <laughs> here I am just a poor little man just getting by, you know, asking for donations to take me around the world. And this man is just like an absolute superstar, like carried Australia on his back in that last game. Like, man, he's so cool. I just can't believe it. Uh, yeah, I can't get over that. Just like casually hanging out with Paddy Mills in Tokyo at the Olympics. That's just got to be like looking back on it in 50 years or something. That's like stuff of dreams, life highlight kind of thing almost. Yeah, 100%. And like I met Ash Barty once and then on the second time like hang out, hung out with her. Uh, it was a couple of days before we went home and she is so cool. Like she's she's just like so Australian. It's crazy. I was like. Just thinking, you you are the most Aussiest person I've met. Hey, she's just like, just yeah, water off the ducks back to her. Like, even though she is who she was, she's like, just didn't care. Hey. I was like, this is, you're so cool. You're you're awesome. Yeah, mate. If she wasn't a Richmond supporter, she'd be the perfect person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, kind of moving from the village to the games themselves. So, how are you reflecting, like? Uh, what is it, three weeks since your event? Uh, how, you've, how have you reflected on uh, your performance and kind of, yeah, your fights in the boxing? Yeah, so I haven't watched my fight all the way through yet. Um, I'm kind of – I got my coach to uh, download it onto a USB because I don't know how he did it. I was trying to, like, screen record it um, from the 7 Plus app, but it won't let you. And then from this other um, website that was using in Japan, but it wouldn't – wouldn't work once I got to Australia. Um, but I watched a little bit of it while I was in Japan and I kind of quickly, even thinking back on the fight, I understood where I went wrong. Um, it wasn't, it was still a close fight and like it could have went either way. Or, like I really think about it, but it wasn't, it was just because like, I stopped using my tactic that was working in the third round um, and that was just ring awareness. I didn't um, didn't really have that kind of dialed in after not competing for so long um, where I needed to be and I kind of lost focus of that. Uh, and, yeah, like even though like my fit cardio was all good, uh, I wasn't tired and that was another indicator of like um, pace. I didn't didn't push the pace where, where I should have. Um, that's just another 
you know, a bit of ring rust not being in there for so long, um, knowing when to push and when not to push the pace. But I obviously didn't – I held back too much. I thought um, – I think I was too much in my head a little bit. Uh, but I, I think the, the biggest thing was just not having any fights over like 16 months and, and no sparring really. Um, we got international comp and things like that, like a little bit of international sparring. Um, but yeah, just, I think I held too much back. Um, you know, I don't think I was out of my depth. I think I was really, I was very much in that, in it, like within the realm of winning the bout. Um, I dropped the first round and that was just like, I was trying to find my tools. And the second round I was, I felt very confident after that. I was like, okay, I've, I found the pace. I found found my range. I'm I'm fairly in control now. You know, I just go out and do it again, and um, that's where I, I threw the tactics away. I was I was on the back foot instead of being on the front foot as I was, um, and didn't push the pace even though like I still had the cardio in me. So that that's kind of like where it became a lot closer than it should have been. Where where I already had control, leaving the second round and going into the third, and, and I gave it back to him, and and then he made it a close first and second, third round where the second round I was very dominant and I could have continued to be. Yeah, I guess being your first Olympic fight, like what was sort of your thought process like entering into it? Like was the was it the occasion? Like was this probably the biggest fight that you've ever fought and being, you know, in Olympics, even though it was the initial round? Like I can just imagine that the occasion, and like you said, it had been 16 months since you last fought. It would have been such like the emotions going through you must have really also made it a little bit tough. Um. No, on, on the day, it was, it was a little bit weird. Like, I, I was pretty zoned in. Um, and, like, the, this game is pretty weird. Like, it was almost like a glorified sparring match because you get there and um, there's no crowd. There's, like, some people in, in the – like, other com- competitors or fighters in the crowd, but that's about it. Um, but, yeah, I, I was I was pretty pretty on song in the dressing room and things like that. My punches are coming out nice, and and my nerves were like at a at a good level. Like I like them to be slightly there, but not overpowering. Um, and that's exactly where they was, and, and I felt good walking out. Um, but yeah, just like I just think it came down to just not enough competition. And I know that everyone else had to go through it and things like that. But um, yeah, I think like just for me, I, I would have found myself a little bit more. Maybe if I got through that fight and got into the second fight, I reckon I would have picked up the tools a bit quicker and, and I'd have been a bit more on the song of the second flight rather than the first, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask that. It just seems like oh, it's such a brutal sport, boxing in the Olympics, in that you only get one shot at it. It's not like other sports where you get a, like a round robin. Do you think that it should be looked at in that, like giving fighters a couple of chances before going on to the finals rather than it being a knockout from the first competition? Or would that just not work with boxing as a sport? Um, there are other competitions that they do round robin um, you know, pools. And I think that's suited for like other things, but for an Olympic games, I think that this system is works best because, um, I understand it. It is brutal. Um, it would just, it would take away from what it means to fighters knowing that you don't lose all the way through. Like that's who wins. Like you can't, even the guy who come, comes, gets a silver medal. He's only lost one time. Um, so it's it's kind of the beauty in the sport like yeah 
Yeah, now, bit of a kind of naive question because I don't know anything about boxing other than what you've told me in the last episode and in this episode. And this can be like in general or in this Olympic fight specifically. So when the referees uh, like holding both of your hands, about to lift one up, announce to everyone who's won and the announcement's kind of pending, uh, you're waiting to see who's won. What thoughts are kind of swirling around in your head or is it just kind of pure exhaustion or are there actual thoughts that you're thinking about? Um, it, well, it depends on like how you feel that the the match went. Um, there's fights that like you know you know that you've won it quite clearly. So, um, pretty much you, you've already processed it. Like within that, that, after the bell went, that you you've already processed that you won, and you're like, okay, I'll just go over here. And there's you know a little bit of like happiness, but there's not a huge amount of excitement. And then there's like very close fights where. It's hanging hanging in the balance, and you know you know it's close. Like at the games, um, they're telling us the score in the middle of the rounds. What happened in the last round? So, like, say for um, Sky Nicholson's fight, the fifty-seven female that we had, there was like going into the third round, they were pretty much tied. So, I think one person out of them, I think it was the other girl, the GB girl, she had one judge like one over, so she had two two rounds from the same judge so and then you know pretty much you know then that it all depends on that round and so unless you know you like punch absolute breaks off them it, it becomes really intense and you're just like you're just kind of crossing your fingers and you're, you're praying that that you get that draw that's like that's that was like me and my qualification bout um i knew that it was like um a draw except for one judge. Um, no, actually I didn't, but I thought it was, I thought I did a big round in the last round that I was going to win the whole fight. And then my coaches actually understood that I, it was a close, that it was a draw and that I needed to win the last round. And I had such a big round. I was like, Oh, I'm definitely one. This is no way. And like, you see, you can see the anticipation on my face and like, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, what little demons going on there. It's like, did I win, did I lose? Like, what's going on? And um, it's just raw emotion once once you find out. Um, like, for my qualification, it was, like, pure joy and excitement. And then, obviously, you got the flip side where Sky was one point away from winning a, winning a medal and she just, you know, you can you can see the pile of cards just get knocked down and you just become a bit empty in that, in that point in time. Thanks for that insight, mate, because that's really kind of – helps with my knowledge of boxing because there was none before. So it's very interesting. But I want to talk a bit about uh, Harry Garside. You mentioned him before yep. and he had an amazing Olympics. He was uh, kind of all over the news, all over the media over here. It was huge for him, of course, winning that bronze medal, as you mentioned before. How was he feeling going through the whole thing and how are you feeling about him? Um, Harry's like one of the most, how do I, like mentally strong people in any sport that I know, particular boxing, like particularly boxing, he's like mental toughness is second to none. Like I, I don't think I've met someone like personally that I've seen who has his mental toughness. Um, so, and he does all these other weird things that like, you know, he, he's kind of willed it into existence and I've, and I, when I witnessed it like throughout the whole, um, preparation and, and even years before and how he conducts himself. But, um, yeah, like he, 
like you said, he, he had a had a funny fight in the first fight. It's you know, it was just like he was trying to find his his tools and you know blow out the cobwebs and and just kind of like get back into it because he hadn't fought since um, the same day that I fought in my last fight, which is like sixteen months beforehand. And as he progressed, he just kind of like started to find his rhythm and he boxed boxed very well all the way into his um semi final, which I think like in that first round he he boxed surprisingly well. Like that guy is probably not only the best amateur in the world at the moment, but probably one of the best fighters in the world. That guy's just got gears on gears and um, you know, Harry mixed it with the best of them and it was it was a phenomenal campaign by Harry and it was just it's exactly what um amateur boxing and boxing in general needed in Australia to hopefully inspire the next generation. Yeah, well, we're obviously incredibly proud of Harry, but we're also incredibly proud of you. And Yeah, absolutely. And I guess you're an Olympian now. You've been to an Olympic Games. Like, How does it feel that since you've come back? I mean, what does it mean to be like? Obviously, you'd qualify for the last couple of months, but now you are, you're you an Olympian. And has it changed? Yeah. Does it feel weird since coming back that, like, that you've achieved something that a lot of people in their life never will get the chance to? Um, yeah, it's like right now it's a, it's a little bit funny cause it's like, um, it's obviously the emotion of, of not, not achieving what I wanted to achieve. Um, but trying my best to appreciate w- what I have done and it's, I'm going through a little bit of like a life adjustment at the moment where it's like for so long I, I trained for that and, and for like the last five months I was only training for that and. And now I'm back at work and like boxing is kind of like on the back burner, but it's like the thing that's heavily on my mind. So um, there's a lot, mixed bag of emotions and, and I'm just, I just know that everything's pretty normal. Like whatever emotion comes is like, that's natural and that I, I just need to accept it as it comes. But it's once I got home and I went and see like, went to my old primary school, high school actually and seen some of my teachers and that they're just like kind of, made me feel very appreciative. Like when I came up there, it's like, it was really good to see you, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, congratulating me and things like that. Um, that kind of felt, felt, felt some of the, the void that I've been feeling in the last few weeks. So uh, it was just unreal to see the love from, from everyone. And knowing that even though if you don't have the, the best Olympic campaign, that everyone's still just backing you and supporting you. Mate, you still did an absolutely extraordinary effort and, yeah, it was still unbelievable just to get to the Games. And I know that on the last podcast when we were talking, you saw that your plans were to go professional after the Games and I'm not 100% sure if we spoke about it, but you weren't completely sure if you're going to go to the 2024 Olympics. Has that sort of changed? Like, what, what are your plans now? Are you going to go professional? Uh, so I've had a brief conversation over the last week since being home about it. Um, COVID's a very difficult situation right now um amateur or pro so that the, we're still in like a in a stalemate to say like so i try have some pro fights but if i try have some pro fights there's not much competition out there if not no competition um in australia it's going to be hard to bring people in from overseas um in amateurs there's no competition then at the moment i'm trying to finish my trade so i'm gonna have to go overseas to do that that's, you know, three weeks, four weeks at minimum, you know, because I've got to still come back and quarantine on the way home. So um, I just need to, I don't know, still talk to Boxing Australia and, and to the um, 
professional promoters and, and just try to figure something out. Just with COVID, it's a bit of a difficult situation. So um, my mind's really thinking more about development rather than like whether I need to be a pro or be, be an amateur as long as I'm still sparring like the Maloney brothers and things like that and being over there regularly, it's kind of keeps me active enough that when the COVID situation, you know, is behind us that I can get in there straight away and start performing and whether it's, whether I get to box, you know, amateur or pro. Um, but even if I do box pro, uh, my goal is to go to the next com games next year, um, elevate my profile with, you know, with a medal and, um, which is very, very achievable right now. Um, after going to the good games, I'm in a pretty good situation to, you know, go to the, um, to Birmingham next year and, and get a gold medal. I've spied a lot of the, the Commonwealth countries while I was away. So, um, and then depending on if I'm a pro around to the next games, it just depends whether I have like a world title shot at that point or if like, I'm still trying to get there and then I'd, I'd be looking at going to the Olympics. But if I was knocking on a world title and, you know, I was either one fight away or whatever, then I'd have to obviously take that rather than go into the games. But Yeah, well, yeah, if you did go to the Com Games and sound like it is, that that's just going to be super exciting and a medal. Oh, my God, mate. If you win a medal, that would be so good for you. And we would just be like if watching that on our couch, jumping up and down. We already so are the number one ticket holders. So Yeah, exactly. You're number one fans, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Alex Winwood. But just before we go, we have got the traditional where do we begin quiz, uh, but we're mixing oh it up gosh. a bit I better time. do a little bit better this time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think who won last time? Was it Lockie the one? Uh, I don't think I got a point. Lockie got all the points. So. <laughs> well, I'd say Lockie won then, but Lockie can't win this time because Lockie is hosting it. So over to you, Lockie. Yeah, so this will just be a couple of questions about Olympics and the Olympians. So ho- hopefully we can all uh, all go well. And uh, cue the music, please, Harps. Yes, here we go. All right, so Alex, your name's a buzzer, as I'm sure you'll remember well. And Harps, same to you. So uh, let's crack in with the first question, shall we? Let's go. All right, so... Keegan Palmer, the Australian with the American accent, won gold in the skateboarding park event. Now, this is the closest to the pink question. What was his top score in the final? Uh, Alex. <laughs> Alex? 94. To two decimal places, please. Point zero zero. Okay. <laughs> 94.00. I've got no idea how uh, skateboarding scoring works, but I'm going to say 94.01. Wow. That is <laughs> that is not on Harps, and Harper gets the point, oh, unfortunately, yeah. because uh, I'll say unfortunately because I, I'm not about that sportsmanship, Harps. Keegan Palmer <laughs> in the finals, top score was 95.83. So, oh, damn. Scores out of 100, but I'll tell you what, I'd love to only give you half a point for that, Harps, because that was, that was dodgy. <laughs> Oh, mate, after... Charger. Yeah, no yeah. Mate, after that last episode <laughs> where you didn't give me the point for saying equestrian when it was dressage, I, I think you owe me a point. I knew it was some, some something 90. I actually thought it was 97, but I'm not going to drop this next point. I, I know that. Okay, so... <laughs> 
Australia had, for the second question, Australia finished sixth in the medal tally. Now, I want you to tell me how many medals did Australia win in the Olympics? I'll let him go first. <laughs> uh, is it closest to the pin? Or? Uh, no, just have to get it exact. Uh, okay. Jesus, um, <laughs> so, overall medals. Uh, I might be able to get the gold, but... 37? Uh, that is that is incorrect. Mm. We'll go closest to the pin. I, I'm, I like okay. to do it on the fly. I like to do okay. it on the fly. So, Alex, <laughs> I'm not locking in that answer. Okay. I'm, I'm not locking it in. If you want to change, you can. 44 then. Okay. Ooh, okay, mix it up. Uh, living life dangerously there, Lucky. No, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say before, I was going to say 47. It's 46. So half gets the point again. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, go. yes. We love that. Uh, a couple of close ones there, but uh, move on to the next question, Logging. Move on. And this one, see, this is one is for you, Harps, because for as our listeners know, Harper claims to be the number one water polo fan in the world. Yeah. So I want him to put his money I, where I don't his claim mouth to be, is. Mate. I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who won the women's water polo gold medal match at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics? Harper, Russia. I'll, I'll let Alex get him first, but he was okay. incorrect. Uh, Harper, Harper can go. <laughs> Harper? Um, I'll control the sound effects here, so I can just say Alex is incorrect for anything, really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I just remember the question. I think uh, I think it was the USA. Tick. Harper's absolutely correct. Oh, we love that. We love that. USA won their third consecutive gold medal at the games, oh, and the current score is they were three nil to uh, Harper. But look, I know well, Alex will come home strong. I'm backing him in. I have to. I'm backing I'm him in. I'm a big in. third round man, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wins ever death. Uh, well, it's funny I said that because Alex Winwood did in fact win it at the death, and I won't reveal though whether it was me destroying the evidence of my collapse at the end of that quiz where Alex got the four-pointer in the Who Am I and I got it wrong and let Alex snatch victory from the jaws of defeat or whether it was the uh, tech gods just snatching the evidence of Alex's victory away from all of us and all of you. But I have to say, guys, I hate to say this to you, but there's no audio uh, left in this interview. Bit of a bummer, but... uh, Maybe, maybe good for me because it saves you guys uh, or saves me being laughed at by you guys for that just embarrassing defeat, embarrassing collapse, like I said. Very strange circumstances, these ones, but I hope you enjoyed the show nonetheless. Thank you very, very much to Alex Winwood for coming on for the second time. Congratulations on the win in the quiz, mate. I say it uh, with a bit of a frown on my face because I'm not feeling very happy about losing it, but good on you. Thanks for coming on, mate. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in yet again. We will see you next week where we have another awesome episode next week. It is a cracker coming up. In the meantime, have yourselves an awesome rest of your day, evening, have an awesome rest of the week. Thanks so much, guys.